everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mom, and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. If you enjoyed the show or had any questions, why not connect with me on Instagram at Marina Pearson? Look out for the show's meme and make a comment there, or just click on my story and ask me a question. Alternatively, you can find me on the Joy of Being Facebook group. And if you would like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about the Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. And welcome to another joyful episode of The Joy of Being. And on today's show, I have Tracy Newbury, the founder of Happy Baby and Me. I met Tracy about three and a half years ago when I wasn't sleeping and my son wasn't either. And she was my salvation. I remember her after coming to see me uh, that that was the first night Leo had actually slept through in his cot. So I decided to bring on the show because I thought what she has to offer and what she has to share about sleeping, children, getting our rest was really, really valuable. We talked about her journey. We talked about some of the things that can help us all sleep much better when we have infants and babies and we talked about some very simple things that you can do to help you alleviate all of that tiredness when all you want to do is go to bed but your baby is screaming so i hope you enjoy this episode you especially will if you are in that situation um and until the next time enjoy So Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. And as I said in intro, Tracy, thankfully, was my saviour. She came to the rescue when when my little one wasn't sleeping properly at around seven months. And for me, it became a huge obsession of like getting him to sleep. And it was taking away a lot of my joy. Like I was finding it super difficult to be in joy. And so I'm super excited to have Tracy here today because she's amazing at what she does. She's really different from any other sleep trainer (laughs) that I know. So I'm super excited. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Rowena. I'm so happy. Thank you. I'm overjoyed. Thank you so much. (laughs) So Tracy, in all of your experience, because I know there are probably some mums listening to this going, right okay, I am so sleep deprived. I cannot see the wood from the trees. Is there an answer to this? Like, is it possible to enjoy the experience of motherhood when you've just become a mother, maybe for the first time, or you're going through it again and you kind of forgot (laughs) how tough it was at the beginning? Because now you have to deal with two of them as opposed to one. So yeah, I'm just curious because you work with many women. So over to you. Thanks, Marina. Well, yes, I do think that there is there are ways of helping your baby sleep 
well and sleep better. Obviously, the first year is made up of so many different parts. And when we look at baby sleep, we just think, my baby's not sleeping. This is a problem. And you feel really tired and just feel, and there's so much pressure from outside saying, you know, your baby should be sleeping by, you know, this many months and this many weeks, 12 weeks, three months, six months, once the weaning comes in, eight months, you know, one year. And, you know, put so much pressure on women. And, you know, every baby's different and there's no, there's no right or wrong if your baby's still feeding at one or at two because lots of babies still have a feed at two and there's no problem with that. You have to look at the whole picture and the whole year of what's going on in the year. So in the beginning, you know, your routine is going to be all over the place. The baby's just learning about this world. You need breastfeeding established or you're working out the awake times and then comes weaning and that often interrupts the baby's digestive system. So you've got to kind of work through that and it gets a bit better. And then you've got the eight to 10 month sleep progression, which is really fun. And, you know, it's the sleep anxiety. So babies feel a lot of separation anxiety in that time. And so you've got that to deal with. And then, so, you know, there are bits in between where sleep could be really good and there are really good times to work on sleep. But you have to look at the whole year and see what it's broken down into. Because obviously your baby is developing so much in that first year that you can't just expect that it's going to be, you know, black and white. It's, there's so many gray areas in between developmental leaps. You know, environment plays a big part for baby's sleep. Um, I speak about it a lot. So the first year to me is probably hardest yeah because obviously you're still getting used to having a baby your new life as a mom you are having to almost shed your old skin and step into this new place where you are now especially if you've been working before or running your own business you've got to find a new way of to work <laughs> around a little one you know you need to maybe need to bring in extra help but then maybe feel guilty about doing that so first is definitely even for me, it was challenging. I've worked with children for over 14 years. And when I had my little one, I was shocked. So, you know, I can imagine for moms who have not had much you know, experience with children before, how, how you know, much of a shock that must be for them as well. That's really interesting because, you know, I would just assume, you're Tracy, you're like the angel of babies. But that's really interesting because I actually have my son's nanny who's just about to give birth and she keeps telling me oh yeah it'll be fine (laughs) I'll look after Leo yeah within the month I'm like I don't know if you actually understand what you're just oh yes exactly (laughs) for years right but that connection and there is that sort of extra emotional huge because there's so much how do I do this I'm so tired I don't know yeah, <laughs> can't think. <laughs> in the beginning, when I had Alexa and it was in those early days, I was so tired. And you are, and you've got the birth, and then it's straight in. You don't have a second to stop. It's just <laughs> and from there on, you never stop. I had to really think if a mom emailed me this question, what would I respond to? What would I tell her? So I have to take myself right out of the situation find the answer and then go back in and apply to, you know, Alexa and I because you're so tired and you've not thinking, you've got so much to think of this, you know, there's a million things to think of. And also you've got this little baby who's so dependent on you that your brain is just, it's in a different place to where it was before. Zombie. I remember my sister telling me, she said something like, it feels like I've just put my brain in a microwave and it's just come out and somebody scooped it out with a spoon. It's always remembered that, right? It was really correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
And like somebody's speaking to you and then you just turn around and go, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, exactly. I mean, it's very full on. Yeah. We know. I mean, obviously I'm a mom and I know, oh my God, the whole sleeping thing. And for me, it was really interesting. So I would dread the evenings. I would dread the nights because I never knew whether I would actually get to sleep. Mm whether it would take a long time for Leo to sleep when he wouldn't actually go to sleep. And he was crying, crying, crying. I remember this one time where he was crying for like three hours nonstop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just and nothing, nothing that I did. Yeah, everything. Like shaking him, singing to him, just patting him, hours on end, um, crying. Humming, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. music, white noise, the whole thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly I've just lost it. I'm like, fucking done. Yeah. Got him out of the bed and then put him on the ground on the carpet and then back into my room. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I walked back in and he was totally asleep. <laughs> Oh, oh boy, he was like, out <laughs> like a light. But it was that moment that I shifted. Yeah, that you exactly. Enough. Yeah, enough. They feed off of our energy so much as well. They just, you know, they are energetic little beings. They just soak up the energy all around them. So yeah, it makes sense. You know, for the mums that have just had, that either just had children or are still having a no sleeper in their house. Is there any possibility to have any kind of joy in the fact that, you know, their kids aren't sleeping? Because, you know, sleep deprivation is supposed to be the worst form of torture. So I would love to share your take on this because I know that before we started this podcast to record it, that you had a different take on what most people would deem sleep deprivation and that actually we can find a little bit of joy in it. Yeah. Absolutely. So when I had Alexa and I was also tired, I realized there was a moment where I realized I had to really dig deep and really work on my own mindset. I mean, throughout this whole two years, really, because your life changes so much. A successful business, and then I had a baby and I was running a business and a baby and I was trying to juggle it all by myself. And it was just feeling a bit stressful. I had to really dig deep and find a different way of thinking about things. And at some point in the beginning, I really realized that you know, you can be sleep deprived and miserable, or you can be, you know, feel miserable and make that be like, I'm just tired. I'm just going to be miserable. Or you can be sleep deprived and still choose to be happy or still choose to have, you know, they still enjoy moments of the day and just try and, you know, make the best out of every day, even though you sleep deprived and even though you don't feel, you know, a million bucks and just the way you were, your life's not the same as it was before, but, but reaching, really reaching and trying to find those happy moments, those pockets of, of, you know, bliss when your baby's, you know, when <laughs> your baby's laughing or you, and really kind of milk those good moments and soak up those good moments and just try and, you know, make a choice to make the best of this time in your life because it's only going to be once in your life. Even if you have two or three children or more, you only get that time with your first baby because it's always going to be different with your second and your third and you're still going to think of the first. I think some of it is to do with our mindset and making a choice that even though we sleep deprived, can still be happy I love that I also had to in the conclusion I came to too I remember I was at a training I was having a really difficult relationship relationship with not sleeping to the point where it was really paralyzing me and doing anything 
I'm not going to go and exercise because I don't want to get even more tired than I was before. I'm not going to stay up late because there's wisdom in that too. There were things like that that would stop me from living my life. You're living your life, yeah. Because I was so scared to feel the way I had done in the first year. So there was the first year where I really had no energy. And then there was the second year where I spent most of my time being afraid that I would... you feel that tired again. Yeah. And then I was in a seminar. Gosh, Leo must have been about nine months at the time. Mm. Sitting there. And the seminar speaker said, not even sleep deprivation can give you a feeling. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. what did you just say? He didn't say it to me. He said it to the person he was working with. And I had this huge insight. And then for three days, I just had all of this energy. Yeah. And what I realized was, was the amount of overthinking that I had about. And the story we tell ourselves. Yeah. Was what was creating the exhaustion. It wasn't necessarily the sleep deprivation itself. It was the overthinking about sleep. Thinking about it. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's also what I found in my experience. Like if you stop thinking about it, it goes away. If you change your thoughts to something else, it's not there anymore. Because how can it be when you're not thinking about not paying attention? But if you're thinking the whole day, I'm so tired, I'm so tired, I'm exhausted, this is horrible, this is so hard, this is awful, then it is going to be awful, terrible, hard, exhausting. <laughs> it's just going to, every day is going to feel horrible and terrible exhausting if you start to tell yourself a new story you start to get more of that new story I think I mean of course sleep deprivation is a serious thing they do use this torture because it is so bad I mean it feels that bad they, they use it as torture and it is said to be as dangerous as you know drunk drive sleep deprivation is no joke but also I feel like we can still try and change our mindsets to be we can try and help, help our baby sleep, you know, better so that we're not so sleep deprived and so exhausted. But there are some points in a child's first year where that's just going to happen because of, you know, the developmental leaps of the, the child's going through or illness, big changes like moving and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And what comes to mind when I'm hearing you speak is the sense of nature wouldn't have done it this way if there wasn't an intelligence in it. Like, yeah. we're not going to die. Like that, that was the thing. I honestly, there were days that I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. I can't cope anymore. I'm dying. Yeah, it's not true. Nature wouldn't have done it this way. You get the rest you need and you're listening to your body and you slow down because you've you actually got to listen. Got- That's the most important thing is you've got to listen. And I think that for many women that go through this and they have a business or they have a full-on career, yeah. it can be really hard because you're so used to being on the go. You're so used to achieving you're so used to striving you're so used to who you are and what you're about exactly, exactly. success and, blah, 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 blah. yeah and and difficult to kind of fun, come to a place where this is what I want this is good for me and this is also what's good for my baby yeah but I'd love to come back to this point that you made about how to help okay so the sleep deprivation we can still have a good experience in our lives with it But let's talk a little bit about the work that you do and how it's possible to actually help mums to have babies that sleep. Because if there's a solution, why not take it? Yeah, 100%. Exactly. My work is very gentle. As you know, I don't do any crying. There's no cried out. There's no crying. And I've developed it over the years so that it is, there's not even, you know, two seconds of crying. There just is no crying. It's not even, 
in my vocab when I work with children. When I work with, I did it all wrong. There's lots of crying. Oh, I mean, it's so so dense the way I work now. But also, I work in a different way in that, like, after having Alexa, I realized how many things affect sleep. You got to look at the whole picture. You can't just look at like one thing and be like, oh, got to get that little habit out there. That's a bad habit. And rub it out and, and change that. It's the whole thing. So when we look at sleep, you got to look at your baby's environments. You've got to make, you know, it's got to be cool, dark, quiet. If it's not as dark as we want it to be, because obviously light is going to wake us up because that's the way our brains are. That's the way we are made. So the light tells, hits the back of our eyes and says it's time to wake up. So the dark is going to say, go to sleep. We often stay up later in the summers and go to bed a bit early in the winters because the light's hitting our eyes and telling us go to bed or wake up. It's light waking us up in the morning. So for children, it's just the same. So you know, make your room dark, You know, get some black up lines. Make sure it's not too hot because obviously no one likes to sleep in a hot, stuffy room. No one likes to sleep when they are too hot and they're covered up in too many things, too many layers. And sometimes we worry our kids are going to get cold in the night so we kind of layer them up a little bit too much so they wake up more thirsty, you know, uncomfortable and needing a drink because they're so thirsty because they are hot in the night. Noise, so noise is a big one. You know, outside noise, inside noise, so white noise could help. So all these kind of little things that they really make a difference to sleep, understanding, you know, the developmental leaps and where you are developmentally with your baby. So four to five months, the sleep progression, it's a big one. Eight to 10 months, sleep anxiety, that's a big one. You get another one around 12 months. So they're all big leaps and your baby's learning a lot and we wouldn't want to change that for anything. But you have to understand that if your baby's going through these developmental leaps, they're probably not going to sleep so well. I mean, there's things you can do to help them sleep better, but they're probably not going to sleep amazingly, especially if they are a child who is more spirited and more kind of very with the world. There's some babies who are just seems to be very there and like with us, you know, they're the ones who seem to wake up more and who are affected more by... I'm nodding. By developmental leaps and teething, illness, these kinds of things, you know, all play a really big part in the picture. So once you understand what's waking your baby up, that plays a huge part in helping your baby sleep better. So how can you identify that? Is it a process of elimination or is it, are there like this wisdom that we have as mothers and the connection that we have? So first I would start with the room. I would look at the room. Honestly, in all the time I've been doing this, not one room I've been into where it's been dark, cool and quiet. <laughs> not one, I promise you not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I couldn't yes. admit that. My life. Uh, Yes. So it seems so very simple, but honestly, when I go, when I start working with parents and I go in for their nap and I, and I take all my stuff with me, I take the white noise, I take my blackout blinds, I take everything with me and the baby naps amazingly well. And the parents just think it's a fluke. It's never going to happen again. And then I say, you know, we get the blackout blinds, we do the whole thing. They do exactly the same way as me. Nap time routine, almost no one has a nap time routine. So the baby, they just kind of like pop the baby in the cart or start rocking the baby. And the baby's just like, I was playing downstairs in the lounge and now I'm here in the room and now I'm just meant to switch off and go to sleep. There's no signal to say, okay, now it's time for a nap. And then you close the curtains, you put on a lullaby and it's all nice and calm. You do a nice feed. So the baby understands, oh, it's time for my nap. And it gets, it's brain gets ready for a nap. So a lot of parents don't have a nap routine, which is huge for, for the nap. So 
bed alone, the nap routine and, you know, just making the room cool, dark and quiet, they are huge factors in baby sleep. And then not only that, but the feel of the room. So a lot of rooms are, they need a bit of decluttering or kind of tidying up because they just feel a bit kind of chaotic in the room. They're kind of lots of toys around or old clothes from when they were newborn piled up in boxes all over the place. And you go into the room and it doesn't feel like a sleep sanctuary. You feel a little bit anxious in the room. You don't kind of feel, let go of your breath and, and think, oh, this is a lovely room to be in. You know, like we want our rooms to feel like when we sleep, the baby wants to feel the same way in their room. So that's huge. Timings are also important awake times. So I look at the baby's awake times for the age. If the baby's awake for too long, they release cortisol and adrenaline into the body, which means, you know, it's this fight or flight hormones into the body. So it takes them a long time to fall asleep once they become overtired. We'll wake up more easily after they fall asleep. And if you put a baby down too early and it's not tired enough, you can have a fast in your hands. So awake times are super important as well. So when I go in, I'm more or less... I can feel what's going on already. Like when the mom's spoken to me, I can kind of, I look at the room. I talk about awake times. I look at the baby's age so I can understand his developmental leaps, bedtime routines, nap time routines. So yeah, all those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> it's often the most simple things that make such a huge difference. Yeah. And I'm curious, why don't we notice that? Because now I see that. Why do we miss that? They're just so simple. And yet, how is it that we miss it? I don't know. I think it's like everything in life. You just, you don't know if you just don't know. It's like the fish in water and the other fish like swims past him and says, oh, the water's cold today. Or, and he's like, what water? Like, what is water? Because he's in the water. He doesn't understand like, what is water when you're in the water. And also, I think we are misled quite a bit as parents with baby sleep in that baby's not sleeping, there's something wrong and the baby's being bad. We've got to like, you know, fix the sleep, this bad sleep habit, like all of this kind of stuff. And we become so focused on the bad sleep habits of, you know, a lot of moms are told that if you feed your baby before sleep, it's a problem. And that's the reason why your baby's waking up. I promise you it's not. So I think until we know better, I think it's like everything, even in your business, I'm sure you know, until you know better, you just can't do better. You don't know to look for it. You don't know to look for the temperature of your baby's room. You don't know that the light is waking your baby up at five o'clock in the morning and that's why they're waking up. (laughs) The birds are chirping and that's why they're waking up. I mean, I went into a family last summer and it was getting light at 4.35 in the morning. And I went in, the mom said, every morning at 4.30 she's awake. And I went into the room and there was no curtains, just like thin, 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 like thin covering the window. And she's like, no, my baby doesn't need blackout blinds. We don't, we don't believe in that. It's fine. And I went into the room and I was like, mm, okay, if you want to sleep past 4.30 in the morning, you're going to have to get some blackout blinds. Because the birds were chirping at that time of the morning. Because I know at my house they chirp at that time of the morning. And it was loud for me at that time of the morning. So, of course, the baby's waking up because she's hearing the birds chirping and it's loud outside. So, her brain's saying, oh, it's day. Come on, let's play. So, she put in the black eye blinds and the white noise. And, and that was it. She slept until seven. It was amazing. So, sometimes it is really the simple things. But you don't know until you don't know. Until you know, I guess. What I really heard in what you just said is where we're placing our focus as a society or, you know, as parents is focusing on what's not working as opposed to what it could be. Yeah. That there is a solution. And actually, if there's a solution, then our intuition can kick in and go, right, well, what is the solution? 
Yeah. And then it probably becomes so obvious to us. It's like, well, yeah, that's just common sense. Exactly. It becomes common sense. Exactly. Exactly. We think, how did I not think of that before? Exactly. You can't see what you can't see as you write. Exactly. Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'd really love to know a little bit about your story, actually, because how did you even get into this profession? What kind of got you interested in it? Your story with your little one, too. Yes. So I've always loved babies and young children since I can remember. My first memory, I think, was loving babies. And my sister, I was six when she was born. She almost became like my little baby. I adored her so much. I loved her. At the shops, my sisters and my brothers were asking for like sweets and, you know, crisps at the shop. And I was asking for baby magazines so I could go home and cut up my own baby magazines and make my own baby book. And I'd write down stuff and make notes. And I mean, now looking back, I was always going to be my path, I think. And so I was just really obsessed with small children and babies. And I loved spending time with them. And then when I was about 11, I started volunteering at an orphanage in South Africa, where I'm from, called Cotlands. And it was for abandoned and abused children. And I did that for, I think, two years. But then it became really difficult because I get really attached to the children. And then they would you know, be sent away to a safe home. Or It was so hard for me to build up these relationships with these children and these babies. And then they would just be sent away. And I just left me heartbroken every time. And I just ended up crying. And I'm, you know, at some point, I just had to not go back because I just it was too emotional for me. I was very young as well. So there was a lot to take on for. It was very emotional. When I left school when I was 18, all I wanted to do was come to London and be a nanny. (laughs) (laughs) We sold it really well to you then, obviously. (laughs) So that's, I just wanted to come and be a nanny in London. That was my dream at that point in my life. So I did. So after I finished school when I was 18, all my friends were going to like college and, you know, studying further. I came to London and I landed my first job as a nanny. So I was here for a year and a half when I was 18. And then I, and I nannied in that time for two families, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So there was just a, a split nanny, nanny here. And then I went back to South Africa and I worked at a nursery school. And But there it's quite different to here. Here you have like three children per key worker. There I had 20 kids to myself. <laughs> <laughs> two to three-year-olds. So it was crazy. And when the teacher next door to me was off, which was every second week because she was studying, I had all of her kids as well by myself. So that was pretty full on. Wow. And it was quite stressful. And I was only, I was 20 at the time. <laughs> so it was a lot of kids for me to be here. And it was fine. And I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, but it was quite stressful at times. And then I nannied in South Africa for a little bit as well for an amazing family who I'm still really good friends with now. And then I came back to London and I've been here ever since. So that was 2009 and I've been here ever since. And then I nannied, so all in all, I nannied for 10 years up until I was 28. And then four years ago, I stopped nannying altogether. In that time, when I was working as a nanny, I always got the children to nap really well and to go to bed really well. And it never seemed like a struggle to me. So for me, I didn't even no, there were problems with sleep. It just seemed easy and natural. I just thought children sleep, that's what, that's what they do. They do, they have enough, and that's what they do. It was only towards the very, very end of my nanny career that I started to realize maybe I was doing something different with these children. And I really had a passion for sleeping for children. I read a lot of books and a lot of 
things I agreed with, a lot of things I didn't agree with. And I started to find my own kind of way of thinking about sleep and night nursing. So I went into families of newborn parents that had just had babies, the so newborn babies. And while they got some sleep, I would look after their baby overnight. And I just loved it. It was just precious and this new life. These people are trusting you with the most precious thing in their lives. It was so special for me. So that was amazing. And I really got the babies to sleep really well. And it was just a lovely, lovely time of my life. And then I did some sleep coaching as well. So I would sleep overnight for five nights and I would help babies sleep. And then I fell pregnant with my own little girl and I stopped doing the nights myself because obviously being up all night and pregnant was pretty tiring. <laughs> um, and so I changed the business to consultation-based and that's where I am at now as well. So just kind of, I go in uh, to a family's house and we work on the room. I also work with the feng shui specialist now oh, to make sure, yes, to make sure that the whole room is working and is conducive to sleep. Um, so no rock is unturned in that room. Everything is accounted for in that bedroom. So you can be very sure that once I finish and I leave, the whole room is working for the baby's sleep. And then I put baby down for a nap with the mom. So I get to show the mom the nap routine and the technique and that it works. And I take my blackout blinds. We make the room dark. I take white noise, a lullaby, we, the whole works. And the mom and I put the baby down together for a nap. And then while the baby's napping, we chat about sleep and what's going on and how to move forward and how to help. And then I support her intensively through phone and email after that. So, yes, that's my story. <laughs> So what is the technique? Because, I mean, I'm sure there are women uh, who are listening and are coming and going, yeah, okay, great. I've really got that I need to look at the environment of where my child sleeps. That might be a really good one. But what is the technique you talk about? Okay, so I look at where they are at now. For instance, I've just finished working with a family who the little girl is just eight months old, but for her whole life until I started working with her a couple of months ago, she would they would have to push in the buggy around and around and around the block the whole, you know, for hours a day to help her nap. And for night times, I had to rock her for hours to get her to bed. So I kind of look at where they are now. So, okay, we want your baby to nap in her cot because the mom was just exhausted. Her back was breaking and, you know, it was snowing at that point. It was December in London. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, so we need to figure out a way of, how, you know, where you are now to get your baby sleeping in the cot in a really gentle way that's not going to freak your baby out and be gentle and also for now time how are we going to get your baby out of your arms being rocked for hours into a gentle way of getting them into the car for, for sleep times there's a big part of the sleep world that says do not feed your baby before sleep and do not feed a baby to sleep you know and get sleepy it is not helpful that information is not helpful for women because they think that by feeding the baby before sleep, they're going to do something wrong. And feeding a baby before sleep is one of the most natural ways to help your baby get sleepy because that was just the universe's way or God's way of helping your baby get sleepy. So, you know, there's all kinds of hormones and chemicals in your milk to help it get sleepy. And even in a bottle of milk, it's warm, it's comforting. In a dark room, you're sitting with your baby and the timing is right and you go to the milk, you breastfeed. The baby gets lovely and sleepy and it almost does a lot of the heavy work for you. It almost the work for you. So you get the timing right. You get the room right. All the other things are good. You're feeding a baby. The baby gets nice and sleepy in the milk. Either sit there for, you know, a minute or two and just kind of start patting your baby and get up and then just walk over gently to the 
study the cost, put your baby down. And if she starts to kind of, you know, you just place your hands straight on the baby and pat and, and carry on that reassurance in the cots. Some moms will even, I've even heard of moms getting in the cot to kind of, you know, give that reassurance and then jumping out the cots for a few times. And then it's done. It's The baby understands that that's where you go to sleep. And that's your new routine of how you do it. And it's done. And it doesn't cause a problem. And obviously trainers say that that is a problem. It's not a problem. It's very natural. It's very normal. And also for naps, many moms don't know about the nap routine, don't have a nap routine. So by incorporating a nap routine with the room's dog, your baby's tired when you do the, you know, putting it down for a nap, you give her a feed before the nap. And that does a lot of the hard work for you. Then you put your baby down to the cards. You can patch your baby there if they, if they need to. It just does so much of the hard work for you. There's obviously different variations of where the mom is, you know, now and what the, how the baby reacts. But that's the good thing about doing a nap with the mom is that I get to see how the baby reacts. So I get to guide her through that as well, which is that's really helpful. So for someone that has never done this before, that they're having a struggle that's listening in, how do you get them? Because it sounds to me like you do that and it's done. However, mm. having gone through this process, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it wasn't like it happened at the first time. In fact, he did good the first time because you were there. And then the next night I was patting him. Do you remember? I, yes. I was like patting him like for about I remember, I remember. maybe two. My back was killing me. But anyway, yeah. I'm assuming it doesn't work at the first. What if it doesn't work at the first? And it seemed to me that it does. But I know that. Yeah, you know that it's different. What to it? So when we first worked together, it was the way I work was different. It's not the way I work now. It's really different the way I work now. So okay, cool. I can't compare it in that way now because there's just so much more that I think of and that, you know, and how my technique has changed over the years, especially through having Alexa. So it really has changed a lot. But I do get what you're saying. So obviously, and also sometimes you're going to not get the wake times right. Sometimes you're going to put your baby down too soon and, and you're there for an hour and you're like, Tracy, I, I'm going to pull my hair out. Like my child's still not sleeping. But maybe you try to put them down too soon and he wasn't tired enough. And then maybe the next night you've got to adjust the wake time a bit more. So the support that I offer with my clients through phone and email after that, that we can speak, you know, we jump on WhatsApp and we just, we chat every day. We, we bounce off each other so that I can keep tweaking it all the time because sleep changes all the time. So we've got to be able to change, change it with the baby. And if something's not working, I can just keep up on a call or bounce back another idea. And then we find something that works for that baby. So funny. I, this is such a distant memory. I found an Australian soap opera on Netflix and it's called Let It Down or something like that. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Let it down. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah, and I just thought of you, like, because she's just knackered, right? Like, totally lost the plot. She goes into her mum's meeting. She's sitting there. And then one of them comes in with a baby and she's like, Somebody's left that baby outside. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. It's so, I, I really, and I then they would, the, when they put the headphones on, the sound. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Oh, they really broke my heart. They put it like, no. She thought that she's managed to go through the night. She takes them off, and the baby's still crying. But the baby's like, still crying. It's awful. Yeah, oh. Until six in the morning. <laughs> I'm laughing because I can really relate. Not that I would yeah, want to do that to my too. child. I know. And it is it's so true that let down that the one we talk about is so true. And it really it made me, it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I guess you've got to find the humor in it, right? Because it really is it's, just otherwise. I mean, and that's the thing. If they're making a series about it, if they've made a series about it, then it obviously must be so real and so common that we're not the only ones who felt that way. But I love one of my favorite parts was when she goes out for dinner with her friend and whenever she takes the baby with her. Yes. And the friend takes the baby for a second and she hasn't eaten and she's just like, you know, shoving the spoon in her mouth. But it's like that, isn't it? Like as soon as you, you don't have a second to do anything and almost in that whole time, in that whole year. So when you have like, your hands free for a second, you're just like, I'm going to quickly, just, I'm going to get this food down. The, you know, friends are trying to talk to you and she's just like, ah, like eating. That was so funny. Yeah. I don't know if this happened to you, Tracy, but um, I remember looking in my wardrobe, God, Leah must have been about maybe 12 months. I looked at my wardrobe and I literally went, oh my God. So there was clothes that I wore before Leo and then there was just clothes I would wear now, right? Mm. Like, but there was no sexy mama going no. out or anything yeah. like that, right? <laughs> it was literally breastfeeding tops and frumpy jumpers. Yeah. And I suddenly realized something. I was like, oh my God, my identity I've been so wrapped up in being a mom for the first time that I've totally lost sight of who Marina is now. There was this definite shift around identity for me that suddenly came into the fore of like, well, who is Marina now? I don't have to just consider myself as a mom because I didn't used to be a mom. I'm yeah. still the same person, even though I'm now in a different role. It was an interesting insight, right? This transition of identity and, and from going not a mother into motherhood and going, oh my God, what just happened? Yeah, it's massive. It's huge. I mean, it's massive. I think, I mean, I can't say this for hundred percent sure, but I think that's why a lot of new moms get post-sensitive depression is because they're not sleeping well a lot and your life has just been like pulled out beneath you. You don't know who you are anymore. Everything is just... It's almost like you, it's the anxiety, it's the overwhelm. Your whole life has been turned upside down and you've got to try and find your way through and find you again. I mean, for me, I think also becoming a mom takes you to levels you never thought you would, you know, reach before patience levels. You've got to keep reaching for new, better levels of yourself, I think. And I think that I'm better now as a mom. What I've really realized is oh, I thought you just became a mum and that was it. You just are a mother. Yeah. And yes. then I realized, oh no, there's a whole journey I'm on. The journey. It's a mom, whole journey. Yeah. To being a mum to the different stages of the child's development. Yes. Where certain things are needed and now they're not. And no. what worked then doesn't work now. And then you're like, well, why doesn't that work anymore? <laughs> it did work yesterday and now it doesn't. It worked. Oh, exactly and it's like just as you figure something out it changes on you it changes and you're like no don't change no I thought I had this dad because I remember for me where we used to co-sleep with Leo and at the beginning it'd sit up and I'd breastfeed him on one you know breastfeed him on one and then I got clued up with the fact that you could actually breastfeed sideways oh yes, yes. and he'd just turn over and <laughs> stick your boob in yes. and and that was really interesting because that was a milestone for me and the next milestone was oh Leo doesn't need to sleep with us anymore and the next milestone was okay Leo can now sleep in his own room 
there's something that comes to mind actually as I'm speaking to you is so you got them down to sleep but then what happens what happens if they wake up in the middle of the night because I know you might have got them or or how why is it that they wake up like Leo would maybe wake up at 3 a.m in the morning and wouldn't be able to go back to sleep so then I would just either put the boob in or I would give him the bottle because there's a thing around oh now they're just using the boob for comfort and now you've become a dummy so I'm curious yes. about that because I was told different things. I was oh, don't worry about it. Or, oh, now he's dependent on you. So now he can't sleep through the night because he's going to need your boob for comfort. Yeah. I hear that a lot. We are, there's so much information around sleep. To me, you have this baby who has come out of your womb and it's dark in there and it's quiet and they're being lulled and, you know, all their needs are met. And then they come into this world and it's just a massive transition for them. And then after a few weeks or a few months, we just think that they should be able to sleep through the night from seven to seven. And even if they don't, there's something wrong. But to me, I feel like when your baby's waking up, often they are, how do we know that? when your baby wakes up, he's not hungry. Because a lot of, you know, sleep consultants will say that he, you, you know, they don't need to feed after 12 weeks old, after six months old, after nine months old. But how do they know that your baby is not waking up and genuinely hungry or thirsty in the night? They can't know that. They can't know. So sometimes they will wake up because they're hungry. Sometimes they will wake up because they're thirsty. Even if they're nine months, 12 months, 14 months, 16 months, we don't know that what their hunger levels or thirst levels are. But we can easily grab a drink of water. And also no one sleeps through the night. No adult sleeps through the night and no kid sleeps through the night. We all wake up between our sleep cycles or a few of our sleep cycles. As adults, we don't even really realize we do it. We just, maybe we pull the blanket over or readjust our sleeping mask or turn over or go to the loo or, but we, we go back to sleep easily. And sometimes we don't even remember waking up. But for babies who are still new in this world and learning everything and got so much going on developmentally, because in the first naught to two years, they learn so much. There's so much to process. There's so much to make sense of. It's huge for them. And even more so if you've got a family who travels a lot or the sleep environment is different often or there's a lot of change in the family that goes on because a lot of families you know, travel a lot these days. And it's not fair for us to just expect children to sleep from seven till seven when there's so much going on for them in the background. And especially through developmental leaves when there is so much being locked in, a whole new level of learning going on behind the scenes. So when they wake up through a sleep cycle, their brain is just sometimes just on. You know, like when we wake up and we start thinking about all the stuff and this exciting business new venture or this worry or this baby's almost the same with, with developmental stuff. So, you know, I'm learning how to walk. I want to try and stand in my cot now. I'm going to try and sit up. I'm going to try and practice this new sound. So your questions to what to do when they wake up, also to understand why they're waking up. Separation anxiety is a huge one between eight and 10 months old. Babies between eight and 10 months old, that's a huge one. And they, they wake up more often and sometimes bedtime is a struggle. Sometimes naps are a struggle because they believe they are learning that they are separate from you but they can't understand that once you are out of the room that you come back. It's almost as though you've gone forever. They have to try and process that and it's very stressful for them. So they've got to learn that and it's normal and it's healthy and you wouldn't want it any other way because also if your child does show those signs, it means you've got a healthy attachment. Say, for example, a child who's been abandoned all his life between eight and 10 months old, you know, he's not going to have that same separation anxiety as, as he does with someone who's been nurturing and loving towards him. I mean, I'm talking about extreme, like, you know, I'm talking about someone, baby who's been really neglected and abandoned. So it shows 
sense that you've got an, a healthy attachment to your child and your child has a healthy attachment to you. So it's healthy. So mostly we have to understand why the baby's waking up first and then work on how to help the baby sleep for longer or get back to sleep quicker. But first we've got to realize what's waking the baby up. Sometimes it's the water pump going on or the heating coming on at three o'clock in the morning and that click, click, click in the house is waking the baby up. That was the case in one of the families I work for. So we're switching the heating off until seven in the morning and that eliminates that waking. So we've got to think about what's waking the baby up first. Well, Tracy, thank you so much. And one of the questions I love to ask of my guests is, what are you giving yourself permission to do more of? Um, have fun with my daughter. Yes. That's been a big one for me as well. And I think speaking to you, Marina, a little while ago, it was so helpful with that because I realized that I was struggling and stressing and pushing so much that I was you know, I was trying to reach for the Tracy before who ran, you know, this business was always busy. And then I had this baby and it was like, how do I balance all of this? And I felt like I was just really pushing way too hard. I was just really overstretched and just, it didn't feel easy. I was against the flow. And so I had to turn downstream and just go with the flow. And that means I just get to have so much more fun with Alexa and our days are just so awesome now. And I have my work days and I have my work times. And in those days I work well and I work smart in those days. And the rest of the time there's no pressure and I just have fun and it's just, yeah, it's so much better. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, Tracy. So if someone's listening in today and they want to know more or they want to find you because they just want to sleep, <laughs> how can you do that? So you can reach my website, happybabyandme.com. That's the best way. Or follow me on Facebook, Happy Baby and Me. Yeah, Happy Baby and Me. That's where I am. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So for everybody that's listening, until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there you have it, another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. So until next week's episode, remember... You are the joy you seek.